You're listening to Elk Point Baptist Church. Subscribe to our podcast to hear every sermon and like us on Facebook by searching Elk Point Baptist Church, located in Elk Point, South Dakota. Tomas uh, Martinez was hanging out in his usual spot when he saw the police approaching. And when he saw the preacher, uh, boy, I tell you, if we could just start over. Uh, you know what? Give me one of these mics. Give me green. Here we go. This feels weird. Should I sing now? So several years ago in Bolivia, there was a homeless man, uh, Tomas Martinez, and he was hanging out in his usual spot when he saw the police approaching. Now, as the, the police began to approach, that, was, that made him a little bit nervous, but when they called his name, uh, his reaction was to run. And, uh, and, and he, he had some drug and alcohol problems, and he had also written some bad checks back many years ago. So when he saw the police, he took off running. Now, in reality, these police, these, the, there were some detectives and lawyers and relatives and dozens of friends that had been looking for him. And so they were looking for Tomas, this homeless man that was down and out, living a rough life, uh, sleeping under bridges and so forth. And they were looking for this man to let him know, to inform him that he had inherited $6 million. But instead, he ran the other way. His brothers had hired two attorneys who assigned the task to find him to a private detective who formed a special search team. And so they're looking all over for this guy. Uh, and this, this goes with the newspaper article, which is uh, uh, several years old, but it said, Last week, the detective came to a bar that the beggar visits. He missed him by an inch. While the detective asked for him, Martinez sneaked out. Isn't that a terrible story? And honestly, here, here's the thing, the way the story goes. They ran this story in uh, newspapers all around South America and all around the countries that were surrounding that area trying to get the news to this guy that, dude, you've got $6 million, and every time we come try to tell you about it, you run the other way or you try to sneak out. And so the title of my message today is Running From Your Riches. Running From Your Riches. In Ephesians 1 verse 11, the Bible says, To whom also we have obtained an inheritance, been predestinated according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will. So the Bible says that you and I have an inheritance. Now, we may just grieve over Tomas today to think about missing out on $6 million. You ever think what you could do with $6 million? I've seen what a lot of athletes are able to do with $6 million. If you, they blow it, man, and become, uh, home, uh, become bankrupt just pretty much. But, but anyway, $6 million. But I want to tell you something today. Folks, there are people today, and I'm telling you, there are people listening to me right now in this room that are missing out on a lot more than $6 million. It's $7 million. No, no, it's not, it's, it's not money. It's something far beyond that. Folks, people that are missing out, number one, honestly, on being accepted and forgiven in Jesus Christ. On, be, on, on having eternal life in the Lord Jesus Christ. 
I mean, people who are missing out on freedom. I love that song that Kurt sang. Man, my fetters fell off. Amen. My, my, my chains that I've been bound to sin that Jesus was able to break. There's people that are missing out on these things. People who are bound. Listen, you have an opportunity to live a full life, an abundant life. Not to even mention eternity. I mean, the, the hope and the promise of eternal life and, and heaven uh, with our Lord in the days to come. There's people missing out. And, and, and again, to, to, going back to the story with Tomas, the reason that story got my attention, I've actually got another story. This, again, I told you is an introductory message. So I want to preach along these lines maybe for the next couple of weeks. But I've got a couple other stories about people who had an inheritance uh, but were living poor. But the reason this one got my attention is I thought about him running from it. And I thought about how often it feels like what I'm trying to do with people is, hey, I got some news to tell you. And it feels like people run the other way, you know. Hey, come back next week and I've got some better news for you. Oh, I don't know. I, you know. But, but listen, you're trying to chase people. You're trying to chase people with the gospel. And people are running away from their riches. Tomas, here's people been like, hey, Tomas, Tomas, no, please, wait, wait. You got six million? Okay, never mind. There he goes. Right? It's just hard to fathom. But again, the things and the spiritual inheritance we have in Christ is that much more. And so the text I want to take today is in Hebrews chapter 3, verse 15 where the Bible is referring back to the children of Israel and their experiences and how it relates to us today. Hebrews 3, verse 15, the Bible says, While it is said, boy, listen to this, Today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your hearts as in the provocation. My goodness, ain't that something? Harden, you're going to hear his voice? Don't run. Don't harden your hearts. For some, when they had heard, did provoke. Howbeit not all that came out of Egypt by Moses. But with whom was he grieved forty years? Was it not with them that sinned whose carcasses fell in the wilderness? And to whom he sware that they should not enter into his rest? But them that believed not. So we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. Unbelief. And so when we consider this today, we're going to be, my introduction to these couple of messages today is going to be based on the, the story and the history of the children of Israel. And so, and before you question, like, what could I possibly learn from people from thousands of years ago? I want to give you what the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 10, 11. The Bible, speaking of those people in that time, said, Now all these things happened unto them for our ensamples, and they are written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the world are come. This passage looks back to lessons in the, ge the, the, the geography of Israel's experiences. So what was going on in this passage? It was a people that God, number one, had delivered. All right? And so when I start talking about these riches, it really starts right here. It's it starts with this freedom. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell the story as if you don't know the story. But the Bible teaches that the children of Israel had become slaves in Egypt for hundreds of years. They were in bondage. They were in chains. They were being beaten and they were being abused. 
But they cried out for God. They cried out for help. And God heard their prayer and he sent them a deliverer. And that deliverer came with the message. And that deliverer came uh, to rescue them from the cruel bondage they were living in and under. Folks, I want to tell you, there's a lot of people. As a matter of fact, all of us at some point or, or the other were living under this same cruel bondage. And, and they had a man down there by the name of Pharaoh who ruled over the land of Egypt. And, and, and he had taskmasters that had kept them bound and kept them in line. And how many of us at one point or time, and maybe you're still there today, were lost and bound in sin? And in the bondage of all the things that this world tries to chain you up in. There's so much. But thank God Jesus hears our cries. Amen. Just like God heard their cries, he hears our cries today. And I'm telling you, you know what? I think it's part of our job today to hear people's cries, don't you? When I look around at people, sometimes just looking at their, judging by their actions, judging by the way they're living their lives, I believe people are crying out. And they don't know that they're crying out, but what they really need is not a what, but it's a whom. They need Jesus Christ, amen. They need a deliverer. And so what God did is he sent Moses down with the message, and he sent Moses down with the plan. And the Bible says that they had to sacrifice the blood, sacrifice a lamb. And through the blood of the lamb, they would be delivered out of Egypt. And how many of you know that when Jesus Christ uh, came across the hillsides of Judea, there was a man by the name of John the Baptist in John chapter, the Gospel of John chapter 1 who was baptizing those who were turning to him. And John looked up when he saw the Lord Jesus Christ and he said, Behold the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. And so Jesus Christ came to be the Lamb of God, and through His work on the cross, He delivers the captives, amen. He brings us forth out of Egypt. So the first illustration, and the people that He's talking about there, were a people who had been saved from bondage by the blood of the Lamb. Have you been saved today by the blood of the Lamb? Now, we're not talking about a, a, a sacrificial. We're talking about the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. He went to the cross. He shed his blood. He rose again. And aren't you glad that somebody, had to, somebody told you about him one day and you put your faith and trust in him and you've been delivered. You've been saved. Anybody? Amen. Amen. And, and if you haven't today, before I go any further, I want to say that's number one. You don't need religion. You don't need to do better. You don't need to just hold on to whatever it is, that tradition you may have. You need to make sure that you accept the wonderful gift of eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So, through the blood of the Lamb, they were brought forth out of Egypt. But it didn't stop there. Through the Lamb of God. So, first of all, there's people that run from that. Though. May I just pause there for again for a moment? I feel like the, the, the main message that we want to get to this lost and dying world is that Jesus saves. Amen? Oh, my friend, listen. They need to know that there's a Savior who loves them. People need the Lord Jesus Christ, but how often do people run from that? Hey, I, I wonder how many of you today that put your faith and trust in Christ, I wonder if some of you can even remember a time where you were running from that message. I can remember, honestly, my, my first interaction that I can ever remember with the gospel, and I didn't understand it all that well, but one of the very first occasions I can remember interacting with the gospel was when there was a kid at school in junior high that tried to share the gospel with me. And that my first reaction was like, dude, don't even talk to me, right? It's just like, I do not want to hear what you got to say. This is weirding me out. 
Um, no, thank you. Basically, I was running the other way. And I can, I can even remember when I, man, you know, I, I almost feel like I got ambushed a little bit uh, when it leads to my salvation. Because I, as, I, as I've told you many, many times before, I heard the gospel at a funeral is when I heard and began to understand it a little bit more. All right? But I was going to a funeral, man. I wasn't going to church to be trying to hear no preaching or nothing like that. I was just going to a funeral to be supportive to a friend. But the gospel was preached. And, uh, and, 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 I, and, I, and I did this thing to where I lifted up my hand and said, pray for me. I'm not, I didn't say it out loud, but the pastor gave an invitation at the funeral. Hey, if you're not saved, raise your hand and I'll pray for you uh, that the Lord will save you. And I raised my hand. With, and then I'm like, man, what am I doing raising my hand? Uh, that I'm not saved. I didn't understand. what I was like, what did you just do? Well, people don't look around usually during that time, but the preacher's looking around. And so, uh, one way or the other, from me coming to that church, there's people in that church that started trying to follow up with me and, and, and talk to me about the Lord. And you, know what, you want to know what I do when I saw those guys coming? The other way, man. Like, these dudes are weird, man. They just got a weird vibe to them. Anybody else? Am I the only one that thought that? I'm just like, they got just this weird vibe and everything, and I'm just, like, going the other way. But I am so thankful hallelujah, that he didn't give up on me, amen. I was running from my riches. I was running from the greatest thing that could ever happen to me. But I'm thankful that I finally hit a place during that same course of time to where I kind of ran into a wall. And I kind of, me personally, I kind of hit a place of rock bottom. That don't, don't have to be that with everybody. But I'm telling you, and then the Lord once again gave me an opportunity to be saved. And praise God, I'm glad I accepted, accepted and received him as my Savior. And really, that's your part. Really, see, we, we're not saved by works or by anything that we do. Jesus did it all on the cross. And then and when he died on the cross and he rose again the third day, then the Spirit of God comes and speaks, speaks to our hearts. The Word of God in combination speaks to our hearts. And then what we must just simply do is believe and receive. The work has been done. We just believe on him and receive him as our Savior. And I'm emphasizing that because it's important that you know that you've accepted, that you've believed and received him as your Savior. Don't just take for granted. It's not just like, wow, praise the Lord, I'm glad that he died for me and he loved me and all that. Yes, that's wonderful. But have you believed on him and have you received him as your Savior? A lot of people run from that. But number two, notice this. First of all, they got delivered from Egypt. But, so, but God didn't therefore God did not leave them in Egypt. And I think this is awesome. At the heart of what I'm trying to introduce to you this morning is this. That it's a cool thing that God already had a plan for these people even before they ever cried out to him. He actually had a place for them. He had a place. Matter of fact, he had a place that, that the seed had already been sown. He had a place that was already growing crops. He had a place for the children of Israel, picked out and planned for them. And you know want to know what's, what's cool today? That God has a purpose and a plan for your life, picked out. He's got a plan for you. He's got a purpose for you. He's got a life for you today, just like he did the children of Israel. See, so God did not want them to remain in Egypt, so he brought them out of Egypt. But he didn't want them to remain in the wilderness either. He wanted them to get out of Egypt, go through the wilderness, and get into their glorious inheritance called Canaan's land. Which again was just a beautiful, fruitful land that God had prepared for them. 
So here they are, man, God saved them. Anybody, man, it's just good to be saved. Good to know your sins have been forgiven. But God don't bring you, God doesn't deliver you from Egypt, number one, to leave you there. So God don't take you out of sin, then just leave you in sin. No, he brings you out of sin, then he brings you out. And then the children of Israel, they crossed the Red Sea, and I'll say more about that in just a moment. But then, and they went across the wilderness, and then they got to the place to where they were going to enter into that promised land, Canaan's land, beautiful land. But when they got there, they, began, they delayed because they doubted the promise of God. See, what they did is they sent 12 spies over into the land to search it out, to see what it looked like. And they came back and they said, man, it's beautiful. It's just like God said. It, there, there, there's fruit and there's, it's a land that flows with milk and honey and, and fruit. And it's just this awesome place. But 10 of the 12 spies said, but we saw the giants there, the sons of Anak, which come of the giants. And we were in our own sight as grasshoppers. And so we were in their sight. And so what they said is we are not able. We are not able. They did not believe God. They believed God to get them out of Egypt, but they did not believe God to get them into the promised land. We are not able. Now, that's what 10 of them said. Now, Caleb and Joshua, as well as Moses, said, we're able because God's going to give it to us. We're able because God's going to work this out in our lives. We're not able, but we're able with God's help. But what happened is instead of going forward in faith, the people went backward in disbelief. The people went backward in disbelief instead of going forward by faith. They missed their inheritance. And there was a whole generation that died in the wilderness. So here it is. Number one, running from your riches. You can run from your riches when it comes to salvation. Have you accepted Christ as your Savior? I'm telling you, there is nothing greater that you will ever lay hold on than knowing Christ as your Savior. Savior, having your sins forgiven, being made right with God Almighty. But then he brings us out of that. Man, aren't you glad God changes your life? But so here they go across the wilderness. But what happened to those, those, those people who did not believe? Who said, said we, we don't believe, we, we don't believe God's able. And see, there's a question there. Because sometimes it's a question to not believe in God's able. But sometimes I think there's a question, is God good? Will God keep his promises? Is God right? Is he really going to do this? This makes more sense to me. So maybe I'll do this instead. Their unbelief. And so what happened with these people is for 40 years, they wandered in the wilderness just going in circles. They were saved. They were brought out by the blood of the Lamb, but they never laid hold on what God would have them to lay hold on. Now, the good news is with God is that he's not condemning anybody to 40 years of wandering today, amen? But the picture is just that he doesn't want you to wonder. He doesn't want you to just go in circles in your Christian life or in your life. He wants you to make some progress. He wants to give you some victories. He wants you to live the life that he has planned for you to live for him. And when I talk about this life, I'm not talking about an easy life. 
Because the Bible says when they got into the promised land, there were battles there. There were hard times there. We're not preaching some kind of health and wealth and prosperity gospel here. But what we are saying is that God's got a life. And even if it's a hard, difficult life, it's a good life if it's the life that he wants me to live. But so here they are. They're wandering in the wilderness. So for us today, Canaan's land, Canaan land represents our spiritual inheritance. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 18 through 20, The eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that ye may know what is the hope of his calling, and what the riches of the glory of his inheritance. So here we, the inheritance again in the saints. And what is the exceeding greatness of his power to usward who believe, according to the working of his mighty power, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead, and set him at his own right hand. Man alive. He's saying, I want you to see something. See, God's people, we struggle to see. See, sometimes we say you gotta, you gotta see in order to believe. Well, sometimes you gotta believe in order to see. And he's saying, Man, I want your eyes to be opened. To what? To be enlightened. To what? The riches of his glory. The exceeding greatness of his power to usward who believe according to the working of his mighty power. Where's this power come from? It's the power that he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead. Think about that. The power that God gives you and I to live by once we're saved by the grace of God is the same power that Jesus rose from the dead with. Oh, my friend, listen, if you're living a weak life, if you're living a defeated life, you are not living the life that God has for you. You are not claiming the inheritance, I mean, listen, that God has. He accomplished everything that needs to be accomplished on the cross for you to be able to live this life. Israel had to cross the river by faith. They had to claim that inheritance by faith. They had to step out and claim the land for themselves. But those wilderness wanderings represent the experiences of believers who will not claim their spiritual inheritance, who doubt God's word and live in restless unbelief. People who are out of Egypt but not yet in Canaan. So basically there's four groups of people that are pictured here. Number one, there are those who are still in bondage. Number two, there are those who are on their way. As God's people, man, we ought to be heading somewhere, growing. And I like that the Bible talks about our, our life with God as being our walk with God. We don't fly with God. We don't drive with God. We don't run with God very much. It's a walk. It's a step-by-step -step thing. And so, but our walk ought to be progressing. So there's people who are on their way. There are others who are just going in circles. And then there are those who are claiming their rightful inheritance through the Lord Jesus Christ. And you know, the big thing that Jesus, when he said he came, I, he said that he came in John 10.10 10, that they might have life. And that they might have it more abundantly. Ephesians teaches us about this abundant life that he wants us to have. But we've got to be willing to claim it by faith. Near Michelangelo's famous statue of David, there's four unfinished sculptures that line the hallways. They're called the captives. 
Michelangelo had planned to use them as part of Pope Julian's tomb. With protruding limbs and body parts, each piece appears to be a human figure trying to escape its marble enclosure. So again, if you could get the picture, they're called the captives. It was sculptures that Michelangelo started to work on, but he didn't finish. So he got part of the legs finished and part of the arms and the face, but the rest of them are still bound in the stone. And there's four of these, and it's like they're almost free, but they're still stuck. They're captive to those stones. On seeing the sculptures for the first time, author Theodore Roeder wrote, when I looked at these partial figures, they stirred up in me a deep longing to be completed, an ache to be set free from that which distorts and disguises, imprisons and inhibits my humanness, my wholeness. But as with those statues, I cannot liberate myself. For that, I need, a, I need the hand of another. So he saw these incomplete statues. You could see the figure of what they could be, but they weren't quite set free. And they couldn't be set free unless the hand of the sculptor was to set them free. And you know what? I feel like that's what a lot of us look like today. There's parts of us that you can make out kind of what God's going for there. But why aren't we truly living that? Why aren't we truly living in that victory? Why are we still stuck and connected with that which we came from? Folks, I'm telling you, the hand of another wants to set you free today. And there, there, is a, there are riches and there are, there's wealth that's beyond anything that you, know, that you could talk about in by bank account terms. Because that's what we're not talking about. Because we know how to measure wealth. We know how to measure wealth. We measure wealth not by that which we can count, but honestly, that the things that money can't buy. Amen? Not that which money can buy, the joy, peace, love, victory, a sound mind. I wonder what some people would pay for a sound mind. I wonder what some people would pay for peace. I wonder what some people would pay for hope. Man, there's no price to it. People would pay for love, but you can't buy it. Amen? But I'm telling you, the Lord Jesus wants to free you. He wants you to enter into your full inheritance. So as we all stand here today, I want to emphasize what he warned there in the book of Hebrews. What was it that he was unable to, why was it he was they were unable to enter into their inheritance? The Bible says they had a problem with their heart. The Bible says they hardened their hearts. The Bible says it was unbelief. Unbelief. And I don't know if I could have a pianist to come uh, as we close out here. But do you believe today that God is able? Do you believe today that God is greater than your sin, than your failure, than your weakness? Or do you believe that you're, you know, because some of us have failed. You ever failed? And people start thinking to themselves, oh, man, yeah, I, I failed. I messed up. God can never use me. Let me tell you something. He can and he will. He'll forgive you. You don't know my past. It doesn't matter. God does, and he'll take care of you. Some people hear that uh, story about the children of Israel, 40 years in the wilderness. Well, I guess I'm just confined to that. Don't you believe that? That's not true. That's a lie of the devil. He wants you to have life, and he wants you to have it more abundantly. That's his promise for you. It's your inheritance.
You know, we're not too far from Warren Buffett, are we? Down in Omaha. Can you imagine Warren Buffett begging? Can you imagine somebody like that going around like they're poor, not having anything? That's kind of how we are. If you're saved by God's grace, you are beyond a millionaire. You have it. It's yours. But faith is kind of like your debit card to withdraw. Amen. Your unbelief is your empty hands that goes around with doubt and despair and distress. But faith says, Lord, I believe you. Lord, I'm claiming this for my own. Lord, I'm casting down the lies that I've believed. And Lord, I'm claiming the promises that you give. The greatest thing I would say here today, and the greatest question I guess I would start, is do you know Jesus as your Savior today? If you don't, man, I tell you, would love to save you today. You say, preacher, how, how do I know? How can I know? I, I struggle with this. I hear you talk about being saved and knowing Jesus, and I feel like I've known Jesus my whole life. You know, I was raised in church. I've been, I mean, I've been a Christian my whole life. But really, the fact of the matter is, is that what it means to be saved is for you to put your faith in Christ. Not just for you to acknowledge that he's there. That's not very difficult. But to see your need for him. Quite honestly, to realize that because of your sin, you've been separated from God. But that Jesus paid the penalty. That if you would turn to him, trust in him, call on him, man, he'll save you right now. Does Jesus really want to save me? Yes. Look at the cross. Look at all he's done for you. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much that you've got a life for us. You've got an inheritance for us. Help us to quit going around poor, poor mouthing, poor living. Lord, we can live in victory today, God. We can be the people. You, you've got a life prepared for us, God. We just got to claim it by faith. God, there's battles, but Lord, you said you're the captain of the host of the Lord's army. You're going you're gonna to win the battles for us. Lord, we love you today, dear God. And I pray if there's anybody that's not saved, that they'll get saved today. And I pray, God, for those that are saved, God, to be able to claim their rightful inheritance. And we'll thank you for that, dear Lord, for it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.